What's up, guys? We're going to do this podcast. My name is Solomon Ali at Solomon Ali NBA. Man, it's been a long time since I said that. Uh, it's been a long time since I recorded a podcast, and I don't really know where to start. I guess we should start by addressing why it's been a long time. Uh, so the long and stor- short of it is I just haven't had time to record a podcast. I just haven't had uh, the, ne- the necessary amount of time that I-, I would devote to a proper podcast. I I do spend a lot of time on podcasts. I want to make sure it's right. I'm not going to just put something up just to put something up. Um, and so, you know, I did make an attempt at one point to, to get a podcast up. Uh, I didn't like the podcast, so I discarded it. And it wasn't one of those things where it was an interview, so the other person was slighted. It was one of those, okay, I recorded it on my own, and I didn't like the, I didn't like the end product. I didn't feel like I, I gave it my 100%. I listened to it. Uh, you know, I, I made an upload attempt. The Actually, the server wasn't working at that point, but I also didn't want to upload it. It was very much like, okay, I got the excuse not to upload it. So I didn't even make an, an effort to try to upload that podcast because I just thought it wasn't good. And, you know, you know, weeks, weeks and weeks passed by. And then I caught COVID like the week I was going to record a podcast. I was going to record a podcast with these two gentlemen that I have on the show today. Paul, Mitchie, Derek, and uh, Kyle Chilek, uh, two Rockets fans that uh, used to write for me over at rednationtubes.com. Uh, the website that birthed this podcast, the, the website that actually preceded this podcast. I'm not sure how many people who listen to the show currently actually remember rednationhoops.com, but that's where this all started. And I'm excited to finally do this. Uh, COVID prevented us from doing it before, but now I am symptom-free. I don't know if I, if I, if I can still test positive or not for COVID, but I'm symptom-free. I... You know, I coughed a few times in this episode, but like that's not, you know, enough to where like I, I I'm not gonna discard an episode because I was coughing. I, I just I tried to edit it out as best as I can. Um, but I thought the episode was good. It's really long, uh, and it took a long time to edit out uh, a lot of you know extra extraneous stuff. But like I did think it was a good episode. Uh, Kyle and Paul and I talk all the time. Uh, we've been doing it ever since the website discard, uh, disbanded because, you know, they're my friends. They're my friends and I enjoy picking their brain about the Rockets. I enjoy talking to them in general about their lives. So this was a good episode to kind of get me back on track with the uploading. Uh, I, again, I apologize for the long break. Hope you guys enjoy. And we are back joined by Paul, Mitchie, Derek and Kyle Chilik of the website formerly known as RedNationNoobs.com. How you guys doing? I'm doing pretty well. It's good to be back. I haven't been on the pod in a while. I was starting to miss you, man. I'm doing great. Okay. So, yes, you're right. It has been way too long since I brought you guys on the show. You guys want to try and guess the last time you guys made an appearance. I actually went and looked it up. Uh, I'm going to say it's been like four years, five years. I think I was on one. Okay. What about you, Were Paul? We, was our last pod on the same time or something like no, that? No, 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 it wasn't. It was separate. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure we talked about like Chris Paul or something like that on the last pod. Yeah, Chris uh, Chris Paul was in Houston at that time. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mid season, I want to say. Yeah, yeah. It, okay. It, okay, you're you're pretty firm there. What about you, Kyle? You want you want you want to narrow it down? I know it was like a a fake trade trade deadline kind of thing. Yeah. I want to say we were trying to move Corey Brewer to everyone. But I might be wrong. It, yeah, it was okay. So Kyle, you were the last show you were on was February seventeenth, twenty eighteen. It was with it was with you, me, and Taylor Pate. 
Uh, Paul, the last show you were on was March 5th, 2017, just you and me. I think we were talking just mid-season like Chris Paul. Yeah, I don't remember the one that Kyle was on. I'm kind of jealous you guys were drafting up Corey Brewer trades. Jeez, that sounds like such a fun time. Was he on Was he on the Rockets in 2018? I'm trying to remember. He might have been. He was on the Rockets for no, a, a year longer left, than he should have been. Like a year year, he left the year before Chris Paul. Okay. Here. Yeah. Then you must have been drafting up other trades. You know, some mm-hmm. Lou Williams trades or Lou Williams. Yeah. Oh yeah, Lou Williams was gone too. Yeah, they traded Lou Williams for Chris Paul. Um, yeah, it was a while. It's been a minute. It's been a minute, guys. That's that's what I'm trying to say here. So I brought you two on for three reasons. Number one, I think one of the most beautiful things to watch in the NBA is when a young player starts to get it, and you can kind of see the beginnings of a star player, and that is very much happening now with Jalen Green. Uh, you guys were both fans of him before the draft, and this is your team, so I want to know everything about what you guys are experiencing right now. Number two, I said it before, but you guys are both diehard Rockets fans to the core with no media affiliations anymore. Uh, you're just fans, and I kind of wanted to pick your brains on the rebuild. And number three, I wanted to talk Kevin Porter Jr., because that's a frequent conversation topic for us off the podcast. So that should be fun. So let's start here. Jalen Green is really starting to blossom here. Since February 1st, he's averaging 18.6 points per game, 58.9% true shooting. And for some context, before February 1st, he was averaging 14.1 points per game, 49.7% true shooting. You guys pretty much watch every game. What's changed for him? Why is he playing so much better? Uh, For me, I feel like a lot of it's just confidence. I feel like earlier in the season, I would... I realized that I wasn't like appreciating how much being confident and comfortable matters for young dudes. Cause you get so used to watching James Harden and he's just going to make himself comfortable no matter what and make people around him comfortable. And it's just not like that when you don't really have a traditional point guard and you're 19 years old. So I just feel like he really found a groove and now he kind of knows what he wants to do on the floor instead of, it looked like he would just panic like a deer in headlights. And he's thinking like, oh, I can't do this right now. I just got to drive to the room and throw up some garbage. And that's kind of out of his game to an extent. Yeah, I think he's definitely a lot more sure of himself than he used to be. You know, you see, used to see him snake the pick and roll at the beginning of the season, try to get to the middle of the floor when there's a drop big and he wouldn't really know what to do with it. But now he's trying to develop the mid-range jumper game. He's getting to his jumper a lot easier, and he's shooting with confidence. You know, a lot of stuff that he's doing is just a product of confidence and being more sure of himself. Like Kyle said, he didn't really have a traditional point guard to make sure that he got the ball if he was sitting on the sidelines for a little bit uh, and – now he's just kind of making sure that he has fingerprints on every part of the game whenever he's in, which is a really good sign to see because he is still really, really young. Right. Just turned 20, by the way. And I, I agree, man. He, the confidence is what I had written down. The guy is just like really, really calm now with the basketball, whereas before he was frantic and what you mentioned about the drop bigs is so key, Paul, because, like, you're right. He would he would get it open. Like, first of all, he, he had no trouble getting by guys all the time without a screen. Like, he would just get by guys all the time. After he get he, he got by his guy, 
He just didn't know what the hell to do because NBA defenses are so smart and they adapt after you get past that first layer of defense. And like, for example, even if he got to the basket, he would like contort his body around the big. And now he's starting to stop the contortion, just go straight up a little bit more. He's still doing some contortion, some some contorting stuff. But I, I think that's not not all negative. Like it's okay to like try and and get a, like a tricky layup, and like that's that's like what the elite shooting guards in the NBA do. But he's not doing so so much of the unnecessary stuff. Uh, also, like even when he when he doesn't just get all the way to the basket. Just that empty area, right? When he, he drives past his guy, there's that empty area. He doesn't know what the hell to do with it. Uh, that's normally like where like someone like James Harden would like go take a floater, right? The big man killer. He would take the floater in that drop possession, and he would. That's how he would he would choose the end of possession. Pretty high high percentage finisher there, and like someone like Chris Paul would take the mid range jumper, right? And like it's starting to seem like he has found a comfort in taking a mid range jumper in that spot. He's averaging four mid range jumpers per game over the last three games, and that seems to become that seems to be like his favorite shot. Like he hasn't made it his patent shot all season, but I feel like that's where it's headed. Like he hasn't really like he did when I watch Jalen Green. There's not really a comfort move there, right? Like before February first, it didn't really, it really, we didn't really know what he wanted to do. He just kind of knew that he wanted to get to the basket, right? And now it just seems like okay, he has these little moves that he can get to, and it, it's just everything's just slowed down tremendously for him, and that's kind of how I feel like watching him play. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would have said that his comfort shot was his step back three but that's a pretty crazy comfort shot to have you know you miss three step back threes in a row you're gonna kind of feel bad about yourself and try to stay away from that so it's good to have a different kind of comfort shot especially when you're young younger and not on like James Harden's level where you're just gonna keep shooting step back threes until cows come home or whatever euphemism you want to use so yeah the mid-range jumper is a really encouraging development i mean he's gotten better at everything that we would have critiqued him for at the beginning of this season his defense has gotten better his handles gotten a little better he's using his body better just very encouraging signs all around yeah and like i don't think um this is a product of him like demanding the ball more by the way like i i just think he's he, he he's not that kind of guy where like he has to bring the ball up every time. I, I think like what makes him special is his off the ball movement and like his transition ability. And like occasionally he'll get the ball and just go right end to end. Those are special occasions and those are great, right? Like when, when he does get the ball and go full court, gets a dunk or gets like a, a really clean layup and an and one, like those are nice. But most of the time, he I, I like I like where Steven Silas has placed him within the offense. I haven't had too much uh, issue with how they're using it. There are possessions where like Christian Wood will turn into like a black hole <laughs> uh, or uh, Kevin Porter Jr. will throw like a really terrible pass to him in the corner. And like that's probably something that they need to clean up like Jay Sean Tate not giving not giving anybody passes that don't involve him receiving an assist like that's kind of stuff that probably more team oriented stuff that they need to fix I don't think it I don't think it's necessarily him uh or how the team is using him um I, I don't I've never I haven't I haven't had any issues with that I mean I some I get why some people get frustrated because there are stretches where or there were it's become less of an issue where Jalen Green's just kind of standing in the corner and not 
even involved with just like touching the ball and making a quick decision. Um, right. But some of that I think is kind of just a product of his environment because of like when you have a team with Jay Sean Tate out there and Christian Wood being your pick and roll big, like there's not a lot of spacing and you got to kind of put someone in the corner that can at least pretend to shoot. And so wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. Did you, did, did you say Christian Woods being your pick and roll big? Like I, well, I, I I've I've seen I've, I've seen him do other stuff. I I have I haven't seen him do much pick and roll this season. There a lot of like um a slip and post up. Right. But he's kind of in the uh center of the floor. He's not really spreading out to the corners and you kind of need someone to fill that spot on the floor. Pick and stand at the three-point line. Pick and stand. That's a great way to do. It. I, I, not necessarily much picking. You know, a, a lot of a lot of slipping. Stand <laughs> and, and stand and pop. Right, <laughs> right. It, it's uh, yeah. I, I listen. Like I, I, I defend Christian Wood's ability to produce a vision offense, but this season, especially now that everybody on the roster knows that the rest of the season doesn't matter, and it's just a matter of draining the clock out, it's really difficult to watch the Rock, especially Christian Wood. Like he just takes over entirely too many possessions per game. Uh, and it's 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 an eyesore, man. He, I think that those are the possessions where I'm like, okay, I'd like to see some more Jalen Green here. Uh, but like, that's like, you know, again, like if you add it all up, that's like what, two, three possessions per game. We're like, okay, that Jalen, that Jay Sean Tate possession should have gone to uh, Jalen Green. That Jalen, those two Christian Wood possessions should have gone to Jalen Green. That's like, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that's much, but yeah, I see what you guys are saying. There's also just the argument of we don't actually know how much what we can see influences development, which is a whole nother uh, can of worms. Like, obviously it's good to get these reps, but like you said, like those one or two possessions here or there, we don't know how much that we can't quantify that in any way or how important that could be. But there's a lot of stuff that goes on that we don't see that may be more important. So what's interesting is uh, Kevin Pelton's actually writ- written about this subject, Kyle, uh, about how like playing time isn't necessarily like a like an, a line to line comparison to player development. There's not really any sort of correlation there, uh, and it's really more so like like it's hard to tell. You're right; it's hard to tell what exactly helps a player improve. I actually do think those reps help uh, us like the viewer, like tell what's going on. Like it helps, you know, figure out like that, that data that we collect is very important in telling whether or not a player is actually developing or a player is actually getting better or where a player is at. I think that data is super important and and how, what the team chooses to do with that data is super important, but the actual progress that that player makes with that playing time it's very much up in the air because again, you have practice time, you got scrimmages that they do outside of outside of the game. Obviously, like there's a lot of time for that player to be playing. They're not just sitting there. And obviously, if it, if it's not a high end prospect like Jalen Green, they're going to be spending time in the G League too. So yeah, it's it's really hard to quantify this stuff. Yeah, I mean, Silas kind of talked about the fact that he thought that development was done more in the off season or done off the court when players are more willing to experiment and develop certain skills that they wouldn't necessarily use in the game when they're younger and a little less comfortable, which I think kind of makes sense. But at the same time, I don't know why you would, if you feel like there's a chance that that doesn't affect development, I don't see why you would run the risk. Like, 
there's no circumstance where Christian Wood mid-range jumpers are going to be good for anybody's development. I mean, I checked his distance, his shot distance percentages yesterday, I think. Basically, from 10 to 16 feet, he's shooting 33%. 16 to three-point line extended, he's shooting 15%. I don't need to see any of that from him ever, ever again. I don't care if it affects anybody's development. I don't care. Like, we don't need to see that. A lot of this is just, I feel like a lot of this is just fans wanting to see what they will be able to look forward to in the future. You know, like, look at Josh Christopher. I want to see Josh Christopher play because I feel like Josh Christopher is going to be a big part of the future. And I don't really see that with Christian Wood or Eric Gordon. So I can get... So I get a little discouraged when I see possessions taken away from Josh or Jalen or anybody, even Kevin Porter Jr. I can understand that for that frustration. J- Jalen came into the league like as a as a good shooting prospect, right? Like we all we all know this. He wasn't drafted as this project type wing, but he starts off the season shooting terribly, right? Twenty eight point seven percent from three point range uh, from before February first. 37.7% from three-point range after February 1st. Is it possible we're like overthinking all this and it's just like regression to the mean for him as a shooter? Yeah, I think the sample in the G League was a bit small and people were just like, yeah, 37% on NBA threes. He's great. But uh, I think it was always pretty clear that he was going to have some room to grow there. And then even like on the mid, he's bit on fire from mid-range but even if you go back and watch his uh like his film session videos on youtube uh with mike schmitz he talks about how people don't think he's a uh, three-level scorer because they don't really believe he can hit mid-rangers all the time and so he he said in there that he's not comfortable with that shot yet or he needs to prove that he is and so like that's something that he's kind of built this year and wasn't really something that he had all along as a project so I don't know. I feel like he was just a little bit overrated as a shooter the entire time. And so like what he's doing now is what I think he's probably somewhere around what he is between now and his G League numbers is what he actually is as a shooter. So probably like 33, 34%, which is totally fine for a rookie. Like like I think Devin Booker shot around there, like shooting guard to take a lot of threes as rookies and a lot of off the dribble threes aren't going to shoot well. That's just kind of how it is. And so I think we were panicking a little too much on the early sample size. And so I think he's still good, but I wouldn't say he's like some kind of great shooting prospect. Yeah. I I thought he was going to be a sniper from the jump uh, just because of the way that his threes looked when he was knocking them down in the G league. They all look so pretty. The footwork looked so clean. It looked really confident, Uh, but you know, people in the bubble, when we were watching the playoffs, we were all talking about how Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell were going off, dropping 50 against each other. We were all saying that the bubble is fake. They have that advantage with peripheral vision and all that because of the sight line when they shoot. You know, that's the same bubble that Jalen Green was shooting in. Plus, it was like a 15-game sample size or whatever. So it was probably a little early to assume that he was going to be a sniper right out the gate 
like I assumed, even with him shooting really well in the summer league and that kind of stuff. But I wouldn't give up on him being a really good shooter yet. Uh, you know, he's shooting 80% from the free throw line, which is a pretty good in- indicator of his ch- touch and all that. So we'll see how we'll see how he continues to grow. But I mean, I'm I'm a little I'm a little surprised by the lack of uh, catch and shoot accuracy from three but that doesn't mean that it won't get there no i think he'll probably be a pretty good shooter yeah i was a really good shoot, shooter by the end i mean the work ethic is there yeah i mean I, I was a little bit closer to you paul i thought he was gonna be a pretty good shooter like i i wouldn't say like sniper but i, I thought he was gonna be good like i thought he was gonna be like a career 36 37 three-point shooter and you know i obviously those kinds of shooters don't come into the league necessarily you know, as snipers, they come in like kind of like this. Honestly, you look at like Devin Booker, his rookie his rookie seasons, he was like thirty four percent from three, and that's kind of what you what you were expecting with something with Jalen Green. He's thirty two percent right now, I think. Last time I checked, he was around thirty two percent from three this season, uh, and I think that's kind of like right in line with other rookies of his ilk. Uh, I I would say I'd still think I'd I'd still think he's he's has room to get to 33, 34% before the season eventually closes. But yeah, I, I'm confident in that jumper. I, I am. Like I, I think especially off the dribble, that guy, that jumper looks a lot better when he's when he's you know when he has the ball in his hands and he's he's shooting off the dribble. Off the catch, it seems a little mechanical. Uh I think I think he thinks too much when he when he catches the ball and he's he's taking catch and shoot jumpers. But I am optimistic that he can become good there because he is so good at moving without the basketball, and I think if if the jumper is good in one area, it should translate. Especially as you said, the free throw the free throw percentage numbers it should translate to the other areas of his shooting game. And you know what you mentioned there, Kyle, about his you know list, him listening to his criticism about him not being a three level scorer, right? That is like what I love most about Jalen Green. He's someone who very much listens to his criticism and actually takes it into account. And it's not one of those, those BS things where like people, they regurgitate uh, criticisms about themselves and they don't actually take steps to address it. Like the playmaking. I feel like he legitimately heard everything that was said about him as a prospect, as a playmaker. And I feel like he's, you know, I, you know, I watched a lot of him in the G league. Like I watched full length games of him that were available to the public and like he was not this level of playmaker in the G League. He's I think he's noticeably better now. Uh he's actually keeping his head up. He's actually looking at, you know, what's in front of him on the court, the opportunities he has to pass. And it, it's 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 clear that he's definitely improved in that area of his game from where he was as a prospect to his rookie season. And, you know, the mid-range jump shooting ability, I, I recognize that that's relatively recent. You know, obviously, we're talking the last few games here where he's really starting to take more and more mid-range jumpers. Before then, he wasn't really taking a ton more. Uh, he was taking like 1.7 per game for the season or whatever, but now he's taking like four a game the past few games. So, like, he's ramped it up as of as of late. But, like, he that's a, sh- a sign of growth. He's found this comfort zone. And he's found this thing that people criticized him for that he didn't really have in his game. And he's made it something 
that he wants to incorporate more into his game. I actually like that. Like the intangible stuff about Green, like that's why I never dismissed him as a viable number two overall pick. Like I, I even though I personally did not have him as my number two overall pick, I thought that all the intangible qualities about him were reasons why I didn't think it was a crazy selection at all for Houston. Yeah, and I mean, I sounded relatively more down on him as a shooter than y'all just there, but I'm still like uh, similar to what you were saying, Samo, or someone who's going to shoot. I still think he'll get there to be like a 37% on like hard volume. He's already on a very difficult shot diet from three as it is. A lot of step backs, a lot of uh, pull-up threes. So that's kind of bringing him down right now. So I do feel similar to you. He's going to get up to being a good shooter, a good 37% on self-created threes, which 37%, that's like uh, well over a point per possession, which would be great on self-created looks. And uh, and yeah. also there was some just funkiness at the beginning of the year. Uh, not a lot of people have mentioned it, but that weird moonshot he was doing the first like... Yeah, it would, games, it would go like way gone. above the high arcing thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was strange. I, it wasn't there in the G League. It happened for like 20 games, and it was it was up there. And he just stopped doing it now, and he's shooting a lot better. So maybe some of that was kind of fluky at the beginning. Of the, what was it, like 25%? Yeah, I mean, it was very much like out of nowhere. I did, it wasn't something he was taking in the G League. It was just it just came um, – might have been honestly some something he was doing uh, – between the summer league and and uh and training camp that he just developed and just took into the season and i'm glad he discarded it because it was uh was not working <laughs> whatever he did with john lucas uh definitely got that out of his system uh the devin booker comparison is interesting because i think everybody agreed that devin booker kind of was the best shooter in the draft at the time and then he kind of developed into he grew and then he developed into this like uh self-creator that nobody really saw him becoming but uh i think it's a good comparison because i feel like his three-point percentages his development of the mid-range is kind of kind of going to come at the expense of a little bit of his three-point percentage because everybody knows that devin booker is an awesome shooter but he's never had like a truly great three-point percentage season uh and other than like maybe a couple years where he was 38 over seven attempts or something like that. And this year he's 37 over seven, which was a big boost from the previous two years, but he's kind of developed the turnaround mid range jumper, which I feel like Jalen green would probably be able to do because he's just so tall and he can get his shot over somebody. But I feel like that would again, come at the expense of his three point percentage. So maybe 36, 35 with high volume is a little bit more of a reasonable ex- expectation if we're going to also expect him to become a good mid-range shooter. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think that's, that's like, I, I I think 36, 37 is kind of where I have him, 35, yeah. 36, not crazy. Um, I, I think, listen, like, if, if he becomes that and he has he, this quick first step that, that I always talk about, I think it's, unlocks everything to his game it's why he was rated so highly as a prospect how freaking quick that first step is is how he is is everything you build the game around everything you build the game around it's what every uh high level scout in the nba looks for 
uh, in prospects. Um, and he has that. And, you know, if he has the jump shot, in addition to that quick first step, in addition to some more game processing that he needs to develop, I think it's going to, you got a really good player there, man. You got a really good player there. And I think, you know, before the season, I when I, when I interviewed him in Galveston, he kept on talking about how the game was too fast for him, even in just in training camp. Like he could tell right away, like this is a way faster game than I'm accustomed to coming from the G League, um, playing for the Ignite. And now that he's gotten his sea legs under him, uh, the, he's always talking about post game how the things have slowed down for him. Paul, are we now supposed to bank on shooting guard prospects like this, figuring it out at the back end of their rookie year? I mean, you first you had Bradley Beal in 2012, who went on a ridiculous post-All-Star shooting streak, then Anthony Edwards last season, now Jalen Green this season. Uh, why do you think it takes a second to click into, phase for, uh, click into place for these guys? Guards have such a tall task when it comes to assignments and they have so much responsibility that I just feel like it's a little bit more of a learning curve than bigs. Uh, People talk about how playing with bigs is an adjustment, but I feel like that's a little bit more, that's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit more uh, of the guards having more of an adjustment period because of the way that the game is played and how the game is run through the guards and whatnot. I mean, you're seeing it from Cade, who is a point guard, and you're seeing how he's starting to figure things out and piece things together after a pretty bad start. I think there's a lot of finesse in the game and complicated things that guards have to go through and learn to process when they're going against NBA defenses that bigs such as Evan Mobley don't necessarily have to go through. I mean, at worst, Mobley, even if he can't do anything else, I mean, he can, but if he couldn't do anything else, he could just be a wool man and finish dunks. I mean, nobody's going to spoon feed Jalen Green dunks unless it's in transition. So there's just, you have to learn to get to your spots as opposed to people getting to feeding you in your spots like a big might be might have to. Yeah, I, I agree. Like with bigs, it's definitely like they're they're processing defense early on in their career. Like that's where they have to learn. That's where they make the most strides later. And that's why that's why they, they're typically more productive offensively, because as you said, they're so big, they're so physically developed, it's much easier for them to score points at an efficient clip than there than it is for guards, where guards um they they definitely have a long uphill climb. And I feel like that's kind of why you see these shooting guard prospects take a little bit of time, uh, especially the ones ones of the ilk of uh, Jalen Green, where like the playmaking ability was not something that he was lauded for as a, as a prospect, uh, and you know that's not going to show up on the stat sheet right away, right? It's like it's if you know as opposed to someone like maybe Josh Giddy or hell even on the high end someone like Luka Doncic, it's like all that the the other stats are going to sh- show up right away because they're just so talented as playmakers and green just wasn't that so the shooting was going to take some time to click into place and i think i didn't see it taking this long to click into place but i'm not surprised that it took some time yeah and i also think like uh thinking about giddy as well and how well he started versus Jalen is for someone as athletic as like Jalen green and like anthony edwards before him and zach levine before him there's a lot of counters that they're they have to add to their game that they never had to do before because you're just 
jumping over everyone and blowing by everyone at your level where when you get to the NBA, you're not going to be able to jump over the centers here because they're bigger and they jump high. So it's a little bit different than like even the G league, the G league doesn't have a bunch of giant big men. And so that's something that you could tell kind of shook Jalen a little bit when he got to the NBA and he's getting to the rim and people are meeting him up above the rim. So when did you guys become Rockets fans? Like, uh, what what year was, like, the first year you guys, like, remember, like, the first, like, flashbulb memory as a Rockets fan? First you, Paul, then you, Kyle. Uh, my first Rockets memory is the Mavs beating the hell out of the Rockets in Game 7, 2004, something like that. Uh, and then I remember... Uh, the year where Yao and T-Mac were kind of just both hurt at different times and the Rockets missed the playoffs. And I remember following the Rockets draft with drafting Rudy Gay and trying to get Brad Brandon Roy trading for Shane Battier. And I feel like the first year where I really, really started following the Rockets was uh, the year Shane Battier's first year where the Rockets ended up losing to the Jazz in Game 7 with Yao and T-Mac at home. Gotcha. What about you, Kyle? Uh, Yeah, I got into basketball a little bit later in my life than Paul did. So uh, really it's the the Lakers series where Yao went down and they went to seven games was when I really got hooked. That that was actually a pretty damn good series, and like I, the the memory everybody always goes back to is right when Yao goes back to the locker room with that with that foot and chooses to to continue playing on in that game, um, and that but that people don't remember how freaking entertaining that that Lakers series was. Or I think if you're a Rockets fan, you probably remember, but like that Lakers series just was an up and down roller coaster, um, and if they really had the Lakers there before, obviously. Um, it ended the way that it did. But it sounds like you guys have both been Rockets fans while they were good, the entirety of your fandom, right? Like like you ha- you guys haven't experienced like a full tilt rebuild like this before. Yeah, I mean, if you don't want to call watching Kevin Martin foul bait and watching Luis Scola post-ups rebuilding, then... No, 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 a not. full tilt, a full tilt rebuild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I mean that that was that was just that was just as painful. It was probably me. more painful. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was I had Aaron Brooks as my phone wallpaper, guys. That's bro, that was, I, I was, was okay. I was such a huge Aaron Brooks fan. I like uh, I don't know. The fact that I was as big of an Aaron Brooks fan as I was should tell you just how miserable of a time it was to be a Rockets fan. Media sticking around in mediocrity is not as good as it sounds, man. I'm, I like this a little bit better. I have some real young people that I can actually get excited about instead of, you know, the year before we got James, like when we got James Harden, we, before we got him, we were all like trying to get ourselves excited about Jeremy Lin and Chandler Parsons. Like that's, that's, that's Omar nothing. Omar Ashik, man. Come on, man. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you... yeah. My bad, my bad. My yeah. Man. I forgot about Omar Ashik <laughs> dropping passes and pick and rolls. Oh, my God. Houston no, okay. Bobble. Houston okay. Bobble, all of Harden's pocket passes. They used to make me so mad. Oh, my God. First, uh, I think it's cute that you think uh, two or three years out of the playoffs is uh, a full tilt rebuild. 
I, I think that's I think that's really really cute, Paul. I think that's I think that's, I wasn't arguing I, I, that it was a I, I, no no I wasn't I don't, arguing. I'm just saying. What I'm saying is I think it's worse, like not knowing what what uh, not having much to look forward to. I mean, the year that the Rockets drafted Terrence Jones, uh, Terrence Jones and Royce White and Donatus and all those people, they were actually trying to move up in the draft to get Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond, and yeah. Thomas Rob- and if Thomas Robinson wasn't drafted by the Kings, uh, we would have gotten, if Thomas Robinson was drafted earlier, we would have actually gotten Andre Drummond. And I remember being excited about the prospects of rebuilding and having a young person to look forward to as opposed to just, you know, being stuck with Kevin Martin and just hoping that we make the playoffs, you know. We don't talk about 2012 enough. This is this is a long tangent of mine. I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna get off into it. 2012 was the craziest rocket summer ever. But um, yeah, you're right. Like that 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 was. I'm not I'm not gonna downplay how miserable you felt at that time, right? Like it was. It definitely was a painful time uh, to be a Rockets fan during that period where Yao Ming retired uh, to the James Harden trade. Like that was that was rough. That was rough because there was really. Uh, no weight, nowhere to go but the middle. And until Harden arrived, like it seemed like you, like the organization was resigned on falling to the bottom. Uh, and then they finally made the Harden trade, and then bam, you know, you guys uh, became title contenders. And, and and like I think what's interesting is like this is really the first full tilt rebuild. I asked that question because like this is the first like really tear it down to the studs full tilt rebuild that they've had since Yao. Uh, and Steve and Steve Francis and like it is kind of crazy to see like the amount of young talent they've accrued in like a year and a half of like rebuilding like I would say the James Harden trade is probably like the where you start the rebuild climber right I, I think that's probably appropriate so probably like a year and like a month on honestly it's it's been like 13 14 months of the rebuild um, and I think they've done a pretty decent job at accruing a, a healthy amount of young talent but I, w- I want to get your perspective. Like, how have you felt as a fan watching all this? How have you felt just watching the front office, you know, kind of, you know, navigate through uh, their basically their first rebuild in 20 years? Like, do you guys feel like they're doing a good job? Do you guys feel like um, you're satisfied, you know, night in, night out watching the team? Do you feel like you're there are things to watch for every game? You could go first, Kyle. Uh yeah, I think there's uh there's stuff to look forward to every game, but I'll say that the front office has a good eye for identifying talent and kind of find finding it in the rough like your Garrison Matthews is of the world. But also the roster construction is not ideal for a team doing that tear it down to the studs rebuild and it kind of makes it a little harder for everyone to get into a position to succeed. And that's where I, my critique with what they've done so far is. Well, so, so you, you don't like Daniel Tyson, Christian. Well, you don't like that floor spacing. Oh, and, and Jay Sean Tate. How can I forget? How can I forget? Jay Sean Tate, Kevin Porter jr. And, uh, and Christian Wood and Daniel Tice spacing the floor. You don't like that. That doesn't make you like, uh, that doesn't make you excited to watch the Rockets. It's certainly not ideal. <laughs> Uh, what about you, Paul? 
I don't know. I, I was loving watching Daniel Tice try to shoot corner threes and spotting up there, man. That was that was just the best. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think I think the roster, I think the roster construction is a little bit annoying. You know, I think doing stuff like trading for Dennis Schroeder when I have already said that I kind of want to see Josh Christopher get more pick and roll reps and all that is kind of annoying. And we kind of find ourselves going back into the conversation where we talk about how there's development in game might be a little bit overrated, but seeing, I don't know, seeing more of the young guys sounds a lot more fun to me than watching Eric Gordon or Christian Wood or Daniel Tice before or Dennis Schroeder knowing that they don't really have a future on the team or anything like that, especially since you know that they're not even really ideal fits. Like they're not real, except for maybe Eric, Eric Gordon, who's probably helping the spacing. You're not seeing like an improvement of performance or confidence because of their presence on the team. You know, they're just kind of eating up possessions that we could see going to a younger guy and, have that to look forward to. I mean, I would enjoy watching the Rockets a lot more if Christian Wood had been traded and we were watching just Sang- Shangun do what he does in full-time minutes, you know. Even though the Rockets have been getting beat up a little bit with Wood out, I was still enjoying watching the youngsters get beat up because I'd rather watch uh, – team full of youngsters with a future get beat up than watching a team with some older guys and some youngsters and a weird mix uh, do fake comebacks and pretend that the game is close when in actuality the game will not be won, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, that's, that's a lot to take in there. So I, I what I'm, what I'm getting is that you're hot and cold. On the rebuild, both of you guys expressed um, positive stuff to say about the front office, but you, but the roster construction and the night to night doldrums of just like watching the charade of uh, of this team trying to win games uh, is is a little tedious. Is, yeah, is that a good yeah. summary? Yeah, I mean I, they got kind of lucky with uh, getting the high pick because you know they traded for Victor Oladipo and the plan was not to no it wasn't be as yeah. bad as they were so they got kind of lucky getting a young potential centerpiece or uh, secondary centerpiece uh, to look forward to but uh, I have enjoyed watching Kenyon Martin Jr. and that kind of stuff it's been good watching Jacob uh, they see do seem to have an eye for the you know the secondary pieces and whatnot, but I feel like the uh, process with getting the other guys like Dennis Schroeder, not trading Eric Gordon or Christian Wood has been a little flawed. Yeah, I hear you. I th- I I think um, I think they should have traded Eric Gordon. I think that was that was a mistake on their part. I think. But we will see if they can actually capitalize on his value in the summer. That's their one saving grace, you know, uh, that they haven't traded him for a bad uh, asset or they haven't traded him for nothing yet. So we'll see what they end up doing. I, I, I still think, you know, if there was a first round pick on the table, and we know that there was, I, I shouldn't say if, because there was there were first round picks on the table, they should have jumped at the chance. But 
Um, perhaps they have something else in mind with Eric Gordon, or they just like the idea of Eric Gordon being around this young core. I I do think it's a little strange how they're very, they're very, what's the word, touchy feely. Like like this organization seems to be very, um, like we want we want these players to be around these vets. We want uh, we want the veterans to be here for a long time. We want um, we want to develop a certain culture here, and these vets will help us get there. We want to do right by veterans, so we're going to trade them to places that they want to go. Um, That seems a little strange to me, but um, other than that, I think you're right, uh, Kyle, in that they have a good eye for young talent, right? Jay Sean Tate, uh, I think think K.J. Martin was an example of a player that not a lot of people thought uh, should have been drafted and, you know, was obviously a good pick at 52 last season. Uh, I thought obviously, you know, the Garrison Matthews pickup was good, but the, the stuff around the edges with what they're they're doing with veterans is definitely strange for me. It seems like they're trying to split the difference between rebuilding and staying a veteran laden team. Uh, And that's a little confusing to me. Yeah. I mean, getting the vets, there's an argument for having veteran leadership and that kind of stuff. Is there? Is there? Hold on. Cause like, I, I've I've yet to see like definitive evidence that having veterans around young players actually helps them other than when like anecdotal evidence, like them talking about it after the fact. Because like I look at teams like the Sixers, like the process, right? The process Sixers. How many vets did they actually have during the process? Like I guess you I guess you can count um who who's the GM there? I'm sorry. This is the GM under Daryl Morey. Sam Henke. No, 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 no. The GM under Daryl Moore. I'm trying to think. Elton Brand. I guess Elton you can. Brand. I guess yeah. you can count that one oh, season they wow. brought. They brought Elton Brand there into the locker room as as a season they had vets, quote unquote, veteran leadership. But it's not like Elton Brand is the reason Joel Embiid became as good as he did, or, or uh, Ben Simmons became as good as he did. Like like they were they were just developing by themselves, a, separate from quote-unquote veteran leadership. I don't know. That, that just I, – I just never – whenever I hear that stuff about you need vets around young players, I kind of roll my eyes. I'm like, why do you need them, though? Like, okay, yes, you can have them. You can have your your veteran players. They don't have to be 15 to $20 million vets. They can be vet veterans on minimum contracts. Like, what's, what's, like what's functionally the difference if they're, provi- if they're only providing, um, you know – moral leadership or how to how to behave as a professional what's functionally the difference between having a veteran uh player on a minimum contract versus a veteran that is you know as good as eric gordon and has trade value and and can actually net you an asset i don't know like i just i just find that stuff very confusing to me you guys you get where i'm coming from i i get where you're coming from but i also think it's like one of those things that we just don't know we're not there um but there's also on the court value to someone like Eric Gordon who's spreading the floor and I agree with that. Yeah. Communicating on defense. Um, I mean, he's probably not the best example of someone that you would want around someone. Like if this team had someone like uh, Ricky Rubio kind of putting people in their places, I feel like that would help a lot, especially someone like Jalen, like Schroeder was doing for like one game and then he went back to being Dennis Schroeder. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's helpful to a young team. It's having someone that's like, uh, legit uh, rim runner lob threat can help like pick and roll guards stuff yeah. like that does help i think like a yeah. rondo type kind of veteran player 
I wouldn't use that example, but well, maybe yeah, not Rondo is. specifically, but like yeah. that kind of like smart, high IQ point guard type or Jason Terry, whoever you want to use, right? Like that kind of guy at the end of his career, you know, high IQ guard, whatever that can pass the ball, can, can put guys in positions to win that kind of veteran. is kind of what you're describing. Pablo Brugioni. How about that? Is that better? Is that better? I feel like Kyle? He's not really good enough to, for what I'm exactly trying to describe, just someone who makes it easier on everyone else on the rookies to. Okay, to so see. so you mean like an actual paid veteran, like an actual like like yeah, Ru- but, like Rubio himself, like like that guy. Yeah. Okay, well I mean yeah. well well here's the thing, I, I this is where I would disagree, like because then because then that player has value because then you can trade Rubio for value, right? And you're 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 keeping him on the team at the expense of that value, right? That's kind of where like team building philosophy wise. I differ from what this front office is doing. Yeah, I mean, veter- veter- like uh, veteran leadership definitely helps, but it's just a question of how much. I mean, James Harden is obviously a star, but you can't argue that he didn't help Clint Capella's development. Like, he is good with Trey Young because he was James Harden kind of took him under his wing and kind of gave him the ins and outs of the pick and roll. And now he's like easily a part of pick and roll maestros because of that. Uh, you know, your, your Embiid example is kind of like, yeah, I mean, they didn't have a lot of veteran leadership, but that was kind of a critique at the time because Embiid was in a suit the whole time uh, recovering from his injury. And then he came back for one year, the team was kind of bad. And then they went and got guys like, J.J. Redick, who provide whatever kind of veteran leadership that you want to talk about. I mean, there's uh, there's there's definitely it's definitely like there is a question of whether or not veteran leadership is worth it. If you're like sitting Jacob uh, because of it, especially if it's Dennis Schroeder and you're really not sure how much veteran leadership is being provided in the first place but i feel like there is definitely a place for it because i feel like what the Sixers did was a little bit too far in the tanking aspect okay well i i actually disagree i actually like my love with this see we're 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 like exact opposites in in this area i i was a vehement defender of everything the Sixers were doing i love when teams like maximize their roster spots right like i'd rather trade that veteran away and take a gamble on a three on a two-way contract guy or a two-way contract talent that's that's not necessarily a two-way contract but a two-way a two-way contract talent right someone for the hinky special i'd rather use that roster spot for that see if if you can dice roll and get another asset right and like keep on collecting these assets over and over and over again. Keep churning the roster. Keep trying. Cause then you get guys like Robert Covington, right? Cause then you get guys like um what's what's my guy? White guy for a ball handler um from the Sixers. Yeah, TJ McConnell. TJ McConnell, yeah. right? Yeah. You, yeah, you get yeah. guys like Wouldn't that. Wouldn't want to miss out on TJ McConnell. Okay, okay. But TJ McConnell helped the Sixers <laughs> at one point, right? Is that yeah, what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but uh I mean Embiid kind of coming in late because he was he had a broken foot for so long is kind of a factor. I feel like if they had Embiid, they and if he was playing, they would have been better served to have 
a real point guard for him to develop with, but because he took so long to come back, they could kind of wait and develop guys like TJ McConnell or can't think of another guard that they had, but you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be a guard is what I'm saying is that they used that roster spot on somebody and that roster spot ended up becoming an asset for them. Right. And like, that's kind of like my, like when I think of rebuilding, I'm like, that's how I, that's how I would want to rebuild. If I ever, if some dumb owner was dumb enough to make me a general manager, right? Like I, I would try to churn the roster for these kinds of guys and take my gambles and let the team be bad. And obviously bring in vets. If they, if, you know, you don't you don't want the team absent of all veteran leadership, but like, you know, bring in vets on minimum contracts. Like, there's nothing wrong yeah. with with the Prigioni or Jason Terry. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what the Sixers did, though. They didn't really have a lot of veteran minimum guys. Yeah, you're right. They didn't do that. I think that's probably the one addendum I would do to what the Sixers is. That, is, is that fair enough? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Like. That that's that's kind of like that's kind of my only issue with what Houston's doing. Uh, the what the handling of Eric Gordon's weird. Uh, the Christian Wood thing. I, I actually think they, they. I had no problem with them not trading him because I don't think there was value for him. Okay, so every few days I send you guys a, a, a comparison of Kevin Porter Jr. That, that you guys get really angry out, and I, it's my favorite hobby. I love thinking of comparisons for Kevin Porter Jr. because it's really challenging. It's really tough to find a player that checks all the boxes of a perfect comparison for Kevin Porter Jr. And I love finding something that, you know, checks like six out of eight boxes or five out of seven boxes or whatever, right? You know, someone I think will be a statistical similarity to Kevin Porter Jr. or role similarity to Kevin Porter Jr. And kind of where I, like, you know, where I've landed with him is like to start the season, I thought he was the most compelling storyline for Houston. And now I kind of feel like he's... I kind of, I'm not going to say I know what he's going to become, but I've narrowed down the, the region of, you know, outcomes, the, the, the area of outcomes for him. Like, I, I think it's narrowed down significantly. I don't think, you know, I thought at the beginning of the season it was possible there, you know, there was an all-star caliber player there. I don't know. I no longer think that's there in his, in his, uh, in his variants of outcomes. I think it's probably closer to like, I, where, where I have him, I think it's either, He's either a six-man type player or a low-end starter, starting guard. That's kind of where my variance of outcomes comes for him. And like the, the here are some of the comparisons I've thrown at you guys over the past uh, couple months. So I've thrown this is my first one, right? And I still like this one, uh, <laughs> and it's it's quite fitting that the Rockets traded for him, Dennis Schroeder, right? That's the first comparison I threw at you guys, mm-hmm. and you guys. I'm got sorry really- that I'm sorry, listeners, that you have to hear this. Uh, <laughs> and you guys got really angry at me, and I was like, "Listen, I think he's gonna be. I think he's gonna be like a six man. I think he's gonna be um, pretty inefficient. I think they're both bad at defense. They're both uh, pretty inefficient scorers. I think they both turn the ball over a lot. Uh, I think you know that seems to check a lot of boxes they started their sim- they started their careers with similar uh stats uh I, that's, that was my first comparison uh as of late i've started to to think about you know start low end starters right and this is this is the guy i feel like makes a lot of sense d'angelo russell right d'angelo russell is like okay so if he becomes a starter this is the kind of statistical outcome i could see for him right as like a high end a range of outcomes like someone who can 
you know, capably score the basketball at like a league average rate, right? Like not nothing too crazy, 54% true shooting, something like that. Uh, someone who still turns the ball over, not the best passer, but a decent passer, right? Uh, someone who can play both guard positions, point guard, shooting guard. I probably see him more as a shooting guard, but I could see a team pigeonholing him into the point guard as the Rockets are doing right now and as the, the Timberwolves are doing with, with uh, D'Angelo Russell at point guard. Like I, 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 that's kind of where I see him as like a as an NBA like as a high end outcome for for Kevin Borchner. So, so go ahead, react like like react how you guys did when I texted you guys this. React, uh, throw me any comparisons you guys think is better. Uh, how have you felt about Kevin Porter Jr. Anything I want to hear anything and everything regarding regarding Kevin Porter Jr. Uh, now's your time. I know I know you've been you've been waiting to, to you've been you know chomping at the bit. To talk about this, you you said you said you wanted me to react how you react how I reacted when you sent it in the group chat. That's what yeah. you want me to do. You're more than welcome to react however you want. I got I, you. I, I got you. I got you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let's go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I I don't really see the similarities other than the handedness. They're both left-handed. I mean, Kyle and I have talked about it. I think Uh, Kevin Porter Jr. is super athletic and D'Angelo Russell's game is, uh, you know, more skill and his weakness is the fact that he's unathletic, whereas uh, Kevin Porter Jr. uh, kind of oozes athletic gifts and, the question is, will his shooting come along? Whereas D'Angelo Russell, the appeal was when he was drafted, oh, okay, elite playmaking ability, uh, maybe not a great athlete, but elite skill. Whereas Kevin Porter Jr. is kind of just like this really talented dude who kind of lacks some of the processing ability that, uh, a lot of the stars have. So I feel like the critiques that I have in Kem- Kevin Porter Jr.'s game and the praise that I have for Kevin Porter Jr.'s game don't really line up with the critiques and praise that I have for D'Angelo Russell. So so you, you think both players are in, are efficient, they, they don't turn the ball over, uh, and they're both reliable ball handlers. Is, is, yeah, is I mean, I mean there are... <laughs> I, I think D, I think D'Lo is probably a pretty good ball handler, actually. But I, I think, uh, uh, yes, they are both inefficient, but I think that there are many ways to skin a cat and there are many ways to be inefficient. You know, I've, Corey Brewer is inefficient, but I wouldn't say that Corey Brewer and Kevin Porter Jr. have similar games unless unless you want to go and make that argument. Well, I'm again, like again, like when I was comp- no, 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 I, I hear you. Listen, look, I wanted, I wanted your raw reaction to those comparisons. I've actually thrown it around, and I, I've, I've had people liked it before. Um, and like, here's the thing: I just want as many boxes as you can possibly check. I can't find a perfect one. I can't find one where it's like, yeah, you're right. Like Kevin Porter Jr. is more athletic. Uh, D'Angelo Russell is more skilled, uh, better shooter. Um, I think there are differences between the two in terms of their ability to get to the basket. Uh, I think, you know, same thing with uh, the other comparison I threw out, Dennis Schroeder, right? Dennis Schroeder is a little bit smaller, right? But generally, 
you know, these guys are all in the same size range. They're all have the same weaknesses in terms of they're all bad at defense. They're all inefficient. They're all, uh, you know, kind of capable cards, right? Like if the playoffs started, you're going to play them in the playoffs. You're probably not going to rely heavily on them. They're not going to be high usage guys on the best versions of them. Like as the, the best versions of themselves aren't going to be high usage guys, right? That's kind of why. That's kind of where I leaned when I was making these comparisons. What about you, uh, Kyle? Like, am I making any sense in trying to justify this? Like, I think, I, I think you guys see the comparison like on paper, right? Like, like this is who I see him becoming, and I don't necessarily see when I when I make the comparison. It's more like this is the kind of player I see him becoming, the kind of role I see him fitting into. You know what I mean? I know what you mean, but it doesn't mean I agree with a lot of it. <laughs> We'll go. We'll, we'll, uh, throw me a comparison. I want to. I want to hear a good. I want to hear a good. Comp- you're gonna make me say the one that I know Rockets Twitter is gonna be mad at me about. I, they, they're always mad at me. It's only fair that they they're mad at someone else for a change. Fair enough. Well, I on the D'Angelo one, pretty Paul nailed it. That's everything. I I think they come to similar endpoints, like you were saying, but they don't get there in the same way. And I also think D'Lo kind of. His game makes it to where he's best off uh, being in the role that he's kind of in. Whereas I think Kevin Porter's game is kind of hurting by being in that same high usage ball handling role. He need I feel like he'd be looking a lot better and be a lot more efficient if he was playing on the wing. And there's a lot of stuff. Here like, we go. I want to hear it. He's throw it out. I want to hear it. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go through your boxes. A... A tall, uh, tall, long, athletic wing. I, 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 guard, I, I never said wing. Guy. Okay, you, you can say guard. Yeah, go ahead. Guard wing kind of guy. I did. I never said wing, but okay. Guard. I'm, this is uh, my, no, no, no. Go ahead. I'm, my... You said my, you said your boxes, so I, I got to interject. Okay, okay, sorry. That yeah, is my box. Right. Um, can theoretically defend when they lock in, but don't really do it that often. Okay. Uh, inefficient and shaky shooters. Fair. You've got yourself a Karis Levert. I love it. I'm I'm so happy you said it. I, I I'm gonna clip this. I, I, every episode I clip a part of the podcast and I put it on Twitter. This is the part that I'm gonna clip. So you're comparing Kevin Porter Jr. You think his best comp is Karis Levert? Let, let's be clear here. Is is that what you're saying? I think he plays similarly to Karis Levert right now as a 21 year old basketball player on uh, March 14, 2022. Okay. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. You got you guys heard it. It's it's a, it's gonna be on Twitter. I'm clipping this part. I'm I'm legit. I'm very serious here. I'm gonna clip this part of the podcast. Kyle just compared Kevin Porter Jr. to Karis Levert at similar ages, right? I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna say you know what Karis Levert is now, obviously. But th- this is this is the comparison Kyle's making. Paul, how do you feel about that comparison? Well, I think I think he still plays that way. I think they still have similar games like today. But Karis Levert's just a little better because he's a little older. This is not gonna help the Twitter. This is not, isn't yeah. That probably, I probably shouldn't have used the word better. <laughs> okay. But. Well, Paul, what do you think of that comparison, Karis Levert? You uh, like it better than the D-Lo one? Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, wow. That's a low bar, but I think I think I think I do like it better that one. But uh, I don't like that one either. I feel like uh, Karis Karis is a little more uh, builds around his mid-range and floater game more than Kevin Porter Jr. does. And uh, the, the thing about this is 
you know, I'm I'm a big fan of my Dion Waiters and Donovan Mitchell comparison, but the thing about it is hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's backtrack. You you can't you can't just ha- you can't just throw that out there. Like Kyle expanded on it. Kyle, you know, fleshed it out. Please flesh out your comparisons. Sure. Uh, in terms of Dion Waiters, kind of uh, would be good sized as a point guard, but not necessarily uh, good sized as a shooting guard. Uh, flashes creation ability and also shows an ability to pass, but is kind of streaky with it. Uh, can defend in theory. Uh, but doesn't necessarily. I don't hate and this comparison compared to Karis Levert. Yeah, can go get, ahead. Can get your shot over a defender very easily because of high release points with Deion Waiters and Kevin Porter Jr. And Donovan Mitchell comparison kind of goes into that. Was that was just funny. Kind of yeah, yeah. Just, you know, athletic and, you know. But at this point <laughs> in his life, at this point is it in his career uh, compared to Donovan Mitchell. Uh, but there's there's no perfect comparison because I feel like Kevin Porter Jr. has been put in uh, a unique situation because a lot of the time uh, organizations have kind of pegged people that should have been point guards and made them play off the ball a little bit. You know, uh, one thing that uh, I critiqued Kevin McHale for is – uh, talking about how Harden should play off the catch and that kind of stuff. And I always thought that he should have been just a point guard pick and roll type. And once Mike D'Antoni came over, that kind of changed. And then the heliocentric point guard who is uh, bigger kind of became uh, more typical in the league. But uh, now we're starting to see uh, teams try to cast people that probably aren't natural point guards into point cards because they've seen the success of these uh, bi- these bigger guys that became point guards later in their careers. That's a pretty astute point. I actually, I, you know, I never thought about well, it thank that you. way. I appreciate that, man. No, no. Well, here, here's the thing. Like, I, I think um, Kevin Porter Jr., I think he was miscast in both situations. In Cleveland, he was cast as this, you know, small forward type, right? Uh, and he played a, a significant chunk of his minutes there. I don't think he's a wing. I, I This is where I disagree with Kyle. This is probably my, my chief disagreement with the Karis LeVert comparison. Um, and I think Karis LeVert's better defensively, even though even if you don't think he's good defensively, I think he's better defensively uh, than where wherever you know Kevin Porter Jr. ends up becoming. Um, and I do think um, he was miscast in Houston, where they see him as this point guard. I just see him as a shooting guard that can play the one. That's kind of where I, I. That's kind of where I see him. Like I think he's gonna, I, wherever his ideal situation is, I think he's gonna be an off the off the you know the ball guard, uh, someone who can uh, pass above his weight class, but not necessarily at a, sh- a point guard level, right? I think someone who's you know probably going to score at an, at a league average rate. Um, I think he can get to an average level defensively. I don't think he's there yet. I don't think he's... I think it's it's going to take some time. I think it's going to take some effort on his part. Uh, he's gotten better this year, but uh, it's it's still... We're still a long way... We're still a long way away with him. Um, I I think... I think I like I like the Dion Waiters comparison in that in that respect. I think uh, Dion Waiters, uh, if he had panned out, I, I that kind of makes sense 
as a theoretical, uh, you know, end point for Kevin Porter Jr. I'm glad. I'm glad we could meet meet some middle ground here. I'm actually kind of more intrigued. This is, I've been holding this in for a while. I've been holding this take in for a while. Uh, I'm kind of more intrigued about Josh Christopher as a long-term fit next to Jalen Green than I am Kevin Porter Jr. I got to be honest. Like I, like I really love Josh Christopher. I've been holding that in for a long time. I love this idea of him starting next to Jalen Green, kind of making up for what he isn't as a playmaker, as a defender. I, I love the playmaking chops. I love the defensive chops I've seen from him early and the confidence level I see from him with the ball in his hands. I, I, that intrigues me more than what Jalen Green is right Not Jalen Green, than what Kevin Porter Jr. is right now. You guys want to react to that? I love Jacob, but I think he's even further from being a point guard than Kevin I'm not Jr. even describing him as a point guard. Was. I'm just describing him as a backcourt mate to Jalen Green, whatever whatever that I is. I think Jalen Green needs a point guard. Okay, fair enough. But you, but do you like do you like the idea of that pairing better than KPJ and Jalen Green? Is is that is that crazy? Or you just don't want to catch the heat? You don't want to touch this? You do, is, is that what it is? You don't want to touch this? I think it's. I think we all love Jacob, but it's still very early, and like he's had I'm these in. flashes. I'm sorry, I'm I'm in, but there I'm are in. a lot. I like the guy a lot. I like I'm the guy. Too. Okay, I'm gonna stop myself. I li- I like him. I'm just saying there are a lot of times where a rookie looks really good, and then it just doesn't really build off from there. So I don't want to jump fully on the Jacob train. Yeah, I mean, but I do really like Jacob. I'm not trying to say that I don't. Yeah, I'm big on Jacob's game because. Kind of, he, he he's weird because he's kind of like sometimes you see him score and it looks so controlled and smooth and intelligent and assertive and then you see him do like against the heat he had two of the dumbest turnovers I've ever seen on back-to-back possessions but uh, I do I do like the pairing better than Kevin Porter Jr. Uh, but not because I like him better uh, as a backcourt pairing. I just see Jacob. Jacob is already strong as hell, and he's almost certainly going to be able to play the three in this league. And I, there are definitely questions about whether Kevin Porter Jr. will be strong enough to do that. So I am more optimistic about Jacob with Jalen Green than I am about Kevin Porter Jr. But if both of them have to if Jacob has to play as the uh distributor and Kevin Porter Jr has to play as the distributor I feel like I would prefer KPJ in that situation so I'm kind of on both of your sides on that one yeah I, I guess when I when I think about how the Rockets are going to be constructed I I kind of don't see this you know unless it's like freaking Chris Paul right like if it's Chris Paul yeah you go ahead go ahead and go get that guy but like I don't see them trading from like for like a strong distributor at the point guard position. I kind of think it's going to be more like a team oriented offense. I think Shangun is someone that can be kind of a hub. Uh, Green can be kind of a hub at times. Uh, Christopher can kind of be a hub at times. I don't see them when they're building out this team, unless someone you know in the draft ends up you know whoever they draft next year ends up being a crazy good passer and better than anyone else any any of us expected. I don't see them finding someone that's a, an extremely gifted playmaker, but obviously it's super early to make that kind of a conclusion. That's just my more projection for them. I kind of think it's it's kind of Celtic C if in that way. Celtic C slash um 
yeah, Celticsy. I think that's that's probably a, a good word for it. Yeah, I guess I just don't think a point guard necessarily has to be a great distributor who's like racking up all these assists. Like Kevin Porter's racking up a ton of assists, and I don't think he's a point guard. But it's just there's just nuances to it, like pushing in transition, getting the ball up the floor, getting into offense early that we just don't really get right now with Kevin Porter. And I feel like we would suffer much of the same with Josh Christopher unless Ooh. like something happens, like Shangun just pops off to the point where he's your like hub of your entire offense. Then I think either one of them will be fine next to Jalen Green. If you're just coming down the court and giving it to Shangun and then running a bunch of DHOs off of that, like a mini Jokic kind of situation. But I'm not sure you want to, bet on that super high-end outcome no you certainly don't want to bet on it uh you but you you do want to you know see what it see what it, it brings you right I, I think i'd like to see um shangun operate more of, as a hub in these second unit lineups um because i think we've just had we haven't seen as much of it as you know i i especially in this garbage time these garbage time units you know i'd like to see shangun out there uh operating as a hub uh next to christopher next to you know Nicks, whoever is out there for garbage time, uh, it'd be cool to see him out there uh, and distributing as much as he possibly can. Because I, you know, you want to see if if he can become that guy. As I said, even if even if we don't think that playing time is not necessarily you know correlated to development, that data is important to collect. And I'd like to see that data of uh, Shangun as a hub. I mean, I feel like they need to implement a little bit more of a system if we're going to see Shangun. Uh, be able to be a heliocentric kind of distributing center. Uh, but also, you know, KPJ is not a great cutter or anything like that. And that that's also what kind of complicates the fit. You know, he's not really, I don't really think of him as a good fit for Jalen or Shangun. Uh, so. Yeah. I mean, sounds like we're, we're all kind of, uh, not, not as high on KPJ as, uh, Maybe everybody else is, but yeah. Uh, I'm, I mean, I, I was I was real low on him at the beginning of the season, and I'm actually probably a little bit higher on him than I was before because I think uh, I've been optimistic about seeing his three him knock down his three ball and that kind of stuff. And uh, I don't think the incompetence that he's had uh, inside the three point line is going to remain because he's looked good finishing around the rim in previous seasons. I just wish he could make a free throw. And this has been a rough year for him injury wise. He just he just can't catch a break. Right. That that thigh bruise is just it just won't go away. And it, it's like it's it's one of those deep tissue bruises or whatever. I, I'm not I'm not I'm not a doctor. I have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. But it's one of those things where it's like it, it, you can't seem to get over it. It just keeps nagging at you, and he keeps on icing it, keeps on getting it treated, and it just it just keeps coming back. I also just want to add on. KPJ that although we've all been pretty down on him in here, I just I'm not I'm not out on him as being like a good player. I'm, uh, I'm not. Yeah, I I think he will be a good player. Let's be clear. I I'm not sure. You know, Paul, you can you can say your piece here. Like I I think he'll be a good player. I'll put that on the record. I think I think he's. I said before. I think he'll be the fifth or sixth best player on a on a playoff team. That's that's a good player, but it's not may, may not be as good as other people. View yeah, him. I just think a lot of people get mad when you say he's not going to be a point guard but that's not necessarily a bad thing he could still be a very good and productive player like I think 
he looks a lot worse doing what he's doing now. And I do think, like Paul said, there are things you could point to that say there's an efficient player in there. Like now he's hitting threes, which he never did before. And in previous seasons, he was finishing at the rim and making free throws. And if he can put those things together, he'd be an efficient scorer. But I think it's just kind of compounding with him always having the ball, taking more shots. It's just leading to more bad attempts at the rim. And I don't know what's going on with his free throws, but I think there's an efficient player in there. I just don't think it's a point guard. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think I think I think there's there's a good player there. Uh, I you know I, people might get people might get mad at me for my Christopher take. Uh, I just I really like the guy. I think that guy is super fun to watch. Uh, and, and he this is kind of a stupid take, but I mean a stupid observation. You guys ever notice like when like rookie guards or like guys who are super frail like get into the basket get into the lane and like score and like their immediate reaction is kind of like flex at the crowd to like show how like you know strong they are like like show how tough whatever they did just was like you 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 guys know how that happens pretty frequently yeah 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 like he doesn't do that he 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 almost just like has like no reaction like that's that that was what was supposed to happen like he'll make like a difficult shot at the basket and he'll like if he gets fouled he'll just like walk to the free throw line he won't do that dumb flex thing he won't do uh any sort of he, he won't make any sort of reaction like his face is just dead like it's just like it's just like he, he barely gets happy it's like that, that that's what i'm supposed to do that's why i was drafted here you know like i'm i'm just going to be i'm just going to score like like he just he's just a pure scorer and like he's it's it's almost instinctual for him to score like as you said paul i think the word you used was fluid that might have been the word like it does very it does feel very much fluid like that's why um he is was an intriguing prospect and looks like a success, successful first round pick for Houston Old man Salman has logged on. <laughs> I yeah. hate flexing at the crowd. I I don't I don't hate flexing. Yeah. He doesn't do none of that flexing <laughs> crap. No, it's not it's not that. It's just that the fact that it's not a surprise to him when he scores. Is that better? The fact that it's not a surprise to him when he scores. Uh I don't know. I I, I think that's a it's interesting. Like I think I think it just shows how it's just natural for him. Why are you showing muscles? Just walk back to the free throw line and do your job, okay. man. Okay. Flexing is cool unless it's unless we're doing it. <laughs> but I see your point, Samuel. Yeah. No, no, I, 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 I definitely deserve some of that because I, I it's, it sounded weird coming out of my mouth too. But like that's how, genuinely how I think when I'm watching these games. I'm like, oh, he's not flexing. Like I'm, my, 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 my brain is very dumb. And this this week it's been COVID yeah, brain, so. I mean, I mean, you can tell that he's been stronger than his competition for his entire life. So in that sense, I know what you mean. Like uh, the act like you act like you've been there before. Uh, he's 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 definitely he definitely has some of that when he muscles up a guard or something like that. He definitely has an element of, yeah, I muscled up a guard, but who cares? You know? Yeah, that's right. Something I'm very I don't know. Intrigued. I, Sorry, go ahead, Paul. No, no, no. I want to hear you, Kyle. Go ahead. Uh, it's something I'm very yeah. intrigued about is just that he's kind of someone who can be too big for small guards and too quick for more like wing sized players. I think that just creates mismatches all the time that you could be really useful in stuff like uh guard to guard screens. And if they try and switch that, someone's going to be mismatched somewhere. 
And I think he's just someone that can constantly take advantage of those kind of situations, ideally. He kind of reminds me of Jimmy Butler in the sense, I'm, I'm not saying that he's going to be good as Jimmy Butler, but he kind of reminds me of Jimmy, Jimmy Butler in the sense that he just kind of came into the league and he was just already strong and ready to guard stronger guys and not overwhelmed when he had to guard somebody with some weight on him. And Jimmy Butler came in the league when he was like, uh, he, he was in college for quite a while. So the fact that we're seeing Jacob already out muscle guys at 19, 20, whatever he is, it's really encouraging. It took me a while for me to catch on to the fact that you were saying Jacob, like, and not Jacob. Like, I thought you were saying Jacob the entire podcast. I was so confused. I was looking down the roster. I'm like, did I miss somebody? Like, is he talking about, like, a backup center somewhere? And now I get it. Now I get you're talking about Josh Christopher. No, but, um, yeah, I like, very much man strength. And, like, what's what's hilarious is, like, Rafael compared him to, like, Drew Holiday uh, around the draft. And it's like, we all thought that was like, such a ridiculously high bar. And I, you know, game wise, I, I, I'm not sure if I see it, but like, I kind of get what he was talking about, like in terms of in terms of his defensive potential. Yeah, from just like a really high level view, I get what he was saying. Just like you've got a big, strong guard who can kind of play on ball, kind of play mostly play off ball, and defend. So like, I get it from that perspective. But yeah, like you said, it's not a perfect match. But yeah, that's not who his uh, scouting report kind of was no no this is this is uh he took he took me by surprise man i'm in i'm i like the guy a lot uh this 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 was fun man this was fun i really like talking about uh these young these young prospects with you guys because i feel like you guys watch the game lock very closely you guys are diehard rockets fans uh we argue all the time about like this off the air it's it's only natural that we took it on the air in fact that the reason i took it on the air is because of an argument we had off the air and i was like yeah we have to we have to bring some of this onto the podcast because i feel like people will find a lot of intrigue in this especially when we start talking about uh kind of the team construction around Jalen green because that's what this podcast was more about i feel like rockets fans are really happy right now with what they're seeing from Jalen Green, and they should be. They should be. This is fun basketball to watch. Every Rockets game, I tune in, and I'm like, is he going to do it again? Is he going to be efficient again? And he does. He ends up being efficient again. And I feel like if you're a Rockets fan, the food probably tastes better. The skies are probably a little bit bluer. Probably a little bit bluer. And your day is just probably a little bit better after seeing your team lose for like the 80th, 80th time of the year. Uh, I have no idea how many, how many losses they've racked up, but they've racked up quite a bit. Quite a bit. Um but that's got to be the silver lining that this guy is uh, looking like the prospect he was drafted to be. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's also encouraging seeing the younger guys like Kevin Mark, uh, Kenyon Martin Jr. is playing well. Uh, Jacob, Jacob, like we were saying, is playing well. Some encouraging signs. Yeah, it's, it's been fun. I definitely uh, feel confident about future 20-something point per game, 60% true shooting. Jalen Green, I feel a lot better about that now than I was earlier in the year. Yeah, it, it should it should be fun to watch him close out the season. See what kind of see how far he can take this stretch. See how far uh, he can take this scoring stretch, and see how many more games he can be this efficient. Um, but I enjoyed this. I, I hope I hope you guys enjoy um, 
Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you guys haven't already done so, give us five stars on iTunes because it helps other people find the show. Uh, and yeah, guys, follow me on Twitter at SomaliNBA. Follow Paul on Twitter at what's your what's your at Paul? Yeah, um, uh, you've changed it like twenty times. I, I changed it once because of complications, but uh, I changed it once and changed it back because of complications. But now it is person uh, permanently last name hyphen just. Last name and then H Y P H E N. So yeah, I mean, I, I almost instinctively okay. gave you the at rocket and a like handle and all that out of instinct. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, five year instincts. That's great, mm-hmm. Kyle. Kyle, what's your Twitter at? Uh, K Chili Twenty Two. Okay, please go follow them. They tweet about the Rockets constantly. Uh, uh, Paul, a little bit less so lately. You know, he's grown up now. He's tweeting like, I don't know, like once every couple days now as opposed to once every couple seconds uh, five years ago, I would say. So that's been interesting to watch. That's been interesting to watch, but... They are very inter- they are very entertaining Twitter followers. They're very smart Rockets fans. I recommend Golden going to go follow them. And yeah, guys, I hope you guys enjoy your day.